Look around when you're tempted to complain. Because there's some people that are going through much worse suffering than you and have not lost their joy. Their circumstances are rough. They could be angry, resentful, or bitter, but instead, they've chosen to trust God. Helping you know the Word. That's our goal every time we get together with Dr. Mark Job on Moody Presents. Mark is the new president of Moody Bible Institute, also known as the founding pastor of New Life Community Church. We're digging deep into the book of James today. Let's go back to Pastor Mark Job on Moody Presents. What happens to a lot of us is that we wait, but we don't stand firm. You're in an unjust situation, and instead of standing firm and saying, I'm going to trust God even though this is difficult, you become bitter, resentful, angry. You harden your heart. You feel like, God is not listening to me. Life is unfair. It's not worth following God. I'm not sure that he's going to bring about justice. And instead of standing firm, we start to waver in our strength, in our belief, in our commitment to give things up to God and trust that the sovereign God of the universe truly will bring about justice. So not only does he say, watch out for the money trap, he says, be patient and stand firm. The third thing he tells us is this. Oh, this is a hard one now. He says, and don't grumble. You see, we need to resist giving in to the attitude of complaining. Notice what the verse says. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. This word for grumble is literally in the Greek, the word to groan. A half-suppressed murmur of impatience and harsh judgment, not uttered out loud or freely, but just this grumbling that happens under your breath about the circumstances. You see, grumbling is internal complaining about others, about life, about the system. Grumbling is wasted energy. Grumbling focuses on what is wrong and rehearses it in undertones over and over and over again. In fact, some of you have lived with injustice so long that you think that it's given you the right to become a perpetual professional grumbler. Come on now. How many of you know professional grumblers? You just see them. Hey, how you doing? Great day, isn't it? No, it's going to be too hot today. It's always hot. I think it's hotter than it was last year. And the air conditioning doesn't really work in this place because they don't pay their bills. They don't care about their workers. They never have cared about. I'm sweating to death here. You say it's a good day. (laughs) There are people that their mode is grumbling. It's just the mode that they've chosen to live life in. There's never anything super good. There's always a dark side, a back side. There's always a critical negative side to it. You know it. If they're at their job 
All you have to do is make one negative comment because grumblers love grumblers. All you have to say is one negative comment and they'll go on for a half hour because they love to complain. They grumble about the system. They grumble about the economy. They grumble about the weather. They grumble about the music. They grumble about the culture. They grumble about the young people. They grumble about their spouse. They grumble about their mother-in-law and father-in-law, about their boss and the job and the city and the nation and the world and God and injustice and races and people. And they grumble about everything. And you say, well, that's just their personality. No, let's get it straight here. The Bible says that grumbling actually will bring us into judgment. Notice what he says. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The very circumstances that we're grumbling against, the unfairness of life, causes us to come under the microscope of judgment of God because when we grumble about unfairness, we actually end up being the unfair. I don't know about you, but grumbling irritates me. Especially if I'm leading the charge and people are grumbling. If you're a parent and have ever been on a long car trip, you know what grumbling is. I remember taking trips five, six hours with three small children in my back seat. When are we going to get there? This is too long. I got to pee. When are we going to eat? He, he, he put his foot on my side. She touched my hair. He's making faces at me, Dad. How can we can't do this? This is not, no, this, it's too hot back here, Dad. His feet stink because he put his shoes on. I don't like the music. I'm trying to sleep. Stop. How many of you, am I, am I, just happened in my house. Okay, other people. Can, I just want to like stop at a gas station and say, you know what? Here's the destination. You get there. My mom and I are going there ahead. I hope you can hitchhike there. I know you're three and five, but I hope you make it. You know, grumbling irritated the heart of God. In the Old Testament, the people of Israel were liberated out of Egypt, but yet they continued to grumble about their circumstances. And in one incident, God had, God had had it from the grumbling of the people. They wanted, they wanted meat, and they wanted to go back to Egypt, and it wasn't the same. And the Bible says he opened up the ground and swallowed a couple thousand of them. For sheer grumbling. And I believe that grumbling is the result of not processing injustice or unfairness or the hardness of life well. I believe that we have the choice to become grumblers or to become praisers. We have the choice to become grumblers or people of thanksgiving in our life. It's not what happens to you, it's how you respond to what happens to you that you are responsible for. Can I say that again? Listen, you can't control the fact that you were laid off. 
You can't control the fact that you got a bad report from the doctor. You can't control the fact that your spouse cheated on you. But I'm going to tell you something that you can control. You can control the response that you have towards injustice that comes your way. You are responsible for your response. And God will hold you responsible, not for the injustice perpetrated against you, but he will hold you responsible for your response to the injustice that's been leveled against you. Some of us are like the guy that went to the doctor and the doctor told a man, hey, you have rabies. And he asked for a pad of paper to write down and he started writing ferociously down on a piece of paper. And the doctor said, are you writing your will down? He said, no, I'm just writing down every person I'm going to bite. Some of us are that way. When bad happens to us, we want to make sure that everybody around us gets a piece of it. If it's going to hurt us, we want everybody to hurt. If life has been tough to us, we become angry, bitter, resentful, and want to make sure that everybody else suffers around us as well. That's a spirit of grumbling that gets a hold of us. But James is reminding us that you will be judged if you turn into a grumbler. In fact, he gives the image of a judge that's standing at the other side of the door listening to all the grumbling that's happening. He's right there ready to come in and, and listening and, and judging us by the attitude that we have towards unfairness in life. Life will be unfair. You can choose to grumble about it, become cynical, Negative, dark, unhappy, miserable, or you can choose to say, God, life is unfair, but you are still good. And I will keep my heart in a place of thanksgiving even when life is tough. And so he leads us to our fourth point here. Not only does he say not to grumble, but he also says, Watch out, be patient, don't grumble. Number four, stay inspired. Remember that perseverance comes with blessing. Verse 10, he says, Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance, and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. You see, what James says is that you're not the only one that's gone through suffering. You're not the only one who's been mistreated. You're not the only one in the world who's had to put up with stuff that was hard to put up with. You're not the only one who's had to say, God, I don't know if I can make it, make it through this. I need your grace. And when you become overwhelmed with your circumstances, when you feel like life is really treating you bad, and you want to say, God, what's up with this? Life is unfair. He says, I want you to remember the example of the prophets. Why the prophets? Well, a lot of the prophets in the Old Testament... We're speaking on behalf of God, yet they were persecuted. People like Jeremiah, who 
was speaking on God's behalf the message that God had asked him to speak, but yet Jeremiah was put in irons, thrown into prison, lowered into a dungeon, but he never gave up. He kept preaching the message that God had given him. Or he says, remember Job. Job is an incredible story. Those of you that are new to your Bibles, you may pronounce it Job, but it's really Job. I remember one brother shared when he first came to Christ, he'd never read the Bible. And so he thumbed through the Bible and he saw the book of Job. And so he started reading it because thought, he thought, well, this will help me get a job. And, and so, but really, it's Job. Misspelled because it should be spelled like my name, but you know, you get the point. Job. But Job is an incredible story of a man who was living for God, trying to be righteous, doing things right, and comes into this cosmic contest in which Satan comes before God and says, Hey, look at the earth. There's no one that's following you and serving you. And God says, Have you seen my servant Job? And Satan basically says, Yeah, Job is serving you because look at his life. He's got wealth and family and kids and prosperity and health. Of course he's serving you. Take it away and he'll curse you. And so after some dialogue and debate, God gave him permission. How many of you know that Satan can't do anything that God doesn't give him permission to do? God gave him permission to bring some affliction on Job. And with time, Job found himself having family, friends, wealth, everything that someone would consider success and prosperity. He went from that to the bottom of the barrel. On the side of the road, scraping his open sores with a piece of rock or glass, his kids gone, his wealth gone, his friends accusing him, nothing to his name, like a beggar, on the side of the road with open wounds. The only thing that Satan left him was his wife. In this case, she was sort of an advocate for Satan because she said, well, just curse God and die. But Job said, even though he questioned, even though he didn't understand, Job said, if I've received the good things from God, then who am I to question the bad things from God. And in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of injustice, in the midst of that which he did not understand, he never lost his trust in God. And in the end, God rewarded him with seven times more what he had had before he lost it all because he endured the test and God rewarded him. Consider Job when you're going through a testing. And he goes on to tell us in this passage, for the Lord, yeah, those who persevere will be blessed, for the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. You know, a couple months ago, I was in the Czech Republic, traveling and visiting a couple of churches, some ministries that were there, and I spoke with an older gentleman in his, probably in his mid-70s. And when I heard his story, 
how he had been a house church leader under the communist regime where it was illegal to have services in churches. His, his son told me his story. And he basically said, you know, my father was a top engineer in the Czech Republic, very well known. And the communist government came to him and said, we would like to give you a position in the government in which you would oversee many other engineers and have a high position. But through our investigation, we've discovered that you are a Christian. And so in order to give you this position, we would like to give it to you, but you have to deny your Christianity or you cannot serve in the party. His father responded and said, I cannot deny that which I believe in so strongly. So not only did they not give him his position, but they fired him from the job that he had had for so many years and had to start from scratch at the bottom of the barrel. Now you talk about unfair. That's unfair. When I saw this man, I did not see a regretful, bitter, angry man. I saw a man full of hope and joy that God allowed to prosper again, whose son is following God, whose grandson is following God, and who has many people that have come to Christ because he suffered injustice and never lost his faith and never lost his joy. Listen, to me, that's inspiration. So when you get tempted to complain about your circumstances, look for that person that provides inspiration because I'm going to tell you something, they're all around us. The 43-year-old woman that I visited yesterday who knows she has what the doctors call terminal liver cancer with great confidence said, this is hard, but my full trust is in the Lord whether He allows me to live or die. My trust is in God. That inspires me. Look around when you're tempted to complain because there's some people that are going through much worse suffering than you and have not lost their joy. Their circumstances are rough. They could be angry, resentful, or bitter, but instead they've chosen to trust God knowing that ultimately He will bring about justice. And then number five and lastly, he says, and above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear. So number five, stop swearing. Don't let your mouth condemn you. I know some of you are already thinking I need to get rid of those four-letter words, and if they just come out, I'm trying to, I just, God's trying to clean. It's actually, although you should stop, tell the person beside you, stop swearing. Although you should stop, that's not the swearing it's talking about here. It's not talking about profanity as much as it's talking about making impulsive oaths with your mouth like some of us in the midst of difficulty tend to do. 
When you're in the midst of unfair situations or difficult situations, it's easy in our anger to say, I swear to God that I'm going to. If you get me out of this circumstance, I swear I'm going to. On my mother's grave. And what James is telling us is he's saying, don't swear, period. You don't have the power to change the future. You should not make oaths when you're angry or mad or flippantly or swear on heaven or by earth or on any other thing. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, but don't swear. There's something that happens when we swear. It's almost like you're taking upon yourself the place of God. Like you are almost saying, like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to show you that I'm going to do this. And you're swearing upon something that you consider sacred. And I could talk a bit about this because I think there's a bunch of implications here. By the way, I hear a lot of people, it says don't swear by heaven or by earth. I hear a lot of people that swear by heaven or invoke the name of God when they're angry or injustice is happening. And in essence, you're using the Lord's name in vain. And you may not realize this, but you're violating one of the Ten Commandments. Someone cuts you in traffic on I-55 and you say, oh my God. Hold on. You say, well, Pastor, I'm just praying. No, you're not. <laughs> you're using God's name as an exclamation point. That's called using the Lord's name in vain. Come on, we do it all the time. You hit your finger with a hammer, Jesus. What's Jesus have to do with it? Don't use flippantly the Lord's name in vain. He's sacred. He's holy. He's not an exclamation point. You're using that which is sacred for common means, so don't use his name. You say, oh, Pastor, I, I never say that. I just say, gosh. Jeez. I don't want to get legalistic here, but I think you and I know what we're saying. It's called a euphemism. It's when you substitute one word for another word, but you really mean that word. So don't use the Lord's name in vain. He's not an exclamation point. It's a sacred thing to invoke the name of a holy God and use it just lightly for our purposes as an exclamation point. But we do the same thing when we make oaths and swear by heaven or earth or your mother or your brother or a grave. He says, don't swear by anything on earth. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. When you have to swear, you act like you have power over the future, and you swear by something sacred. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us, the Bible's not against oaths. When a couple gets married, they make an oath before God and each other that they're going to keep those vows. So the Bible is not against making an oath, but what he's talking about is swearing flippantly, or when we're angry, or 
in, in moments of, of, of high emotion, just making flippant uh, swears on something that's sacred. And it also entails the fact that you can't really believe your word unless it's a yes or it's a no. It should be just yes and you mean it, a no and you mean it. Five things the Word of God tells us if you're facing injustice. Number one, don't fall into the money trap because it's easy to fall into the discontentment of disparity. Number two, be patient because the Lord is coming. Stand firm. Number three, don't grumble. Resist it. Fight the temptation to become a grumbler. Number four, stay inspired. Look at the example of other people that are suffering and yet have maintained a great attitude before God. And number five, stop swearing. Or the Bible says that your words will condemn you before God. The God of the universe, the sovereign God that's always been and always will be, He's high, He's lifted up, He knows you, He sees you, He understands your circumstances better than anyone in life does. And He promises you, one day, justice will come. Don't lose hope. Stand firm choose to be thankful instead of a grumbler no matter how unfair your circumstances are so you can be a testimony and glory to the goodness and power of our living God. Dr. Mark Joe on Moody Presents. Hey, quick thought here. If you're enjoying this ministry, I bet you know others who would benefit as well. Share our website with them, moodypresents.org. I'm John Geiger, inviting you to explore the book of James further. We get together next week with Pastor Mark Joe. Moody Presents is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.